Brother Willie and I were talking prior to services tonight about how many great and wonderful lessons there are contained in the Bible. What a wonderful privilege it is that you and I have this wonderful book that we can read daily. We can listen to some of the great lessons that are found in it and find such great encouragement and edification from it. The question, can these bones live? You see, the book of Ezekiel is a fascinating book with some very rich symbolism in it. It's not just this. There's so many other places in this great book that there are some wonderful figures that are used. But whenever you have symbolic language or figurative language, it can be confusing, but if the figures are understood properly, then the meaning can just really just make some wonderful points that can help us through our struggles in life. And the figure that is used here, that of bones, dry bones, was the um, emphasis for the song, Dim Bones. And if you've not heard that song, then maybe you need to look it up on YouTube and listen to it. I'm sure when you hear some of the words, you're saying, oh yeah, I remember that song. Ezekiel cried, dim dry bones, and that three times, oh hear the word of the Lord. And then the toe bone is connected to the heel bone, and heel bone is connected to the foot bone, and so goes the song. And the idea is from Ezekiel's message about the dry bones. Here's what we want to do tonight. We want to start, first of all, at using some identification. Let's look and see what the text tells us about what this is all about. Number two, the interpretation of it. This vision was given to Ezekiel to try to teach a lesson. That lesson was for Israel. Israel needed this lesson, needed what was found there. And then finally, the instruction and inspiration that you and I can draw from this ourselves. There's something in it for us. So let's begin first of all. And one must first identify who or what the figure is all about. And in this case, we don't have to wonder. God gives us the identification. Look with me at verse 11 in this context. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So I know who the bones are. They indeed say, Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. But the people here have greatly suffered because of their sins. Do you remember what Jeremiah had said? He had tried to tell the people unless they repented, God was going to send them away into captivity. They did not repent and God did send them into captivity. And they went to Babylon. And there they were by the river Kibar. And they were now greatly depressed and discouraged because of it. They understood their condition. They saw themselves as they actually were. Look at verse 10. Therefore you, O son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you shall say, If our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Our sins are heavy. They're, they're upon us and... We're suffering and pining away. That, 
the word pine away is not something we use frequently today, but you understand they're grieving over their sins. But then you have to understand the figure that's being used. It's a spiritual vision. It's not as if he is there, but it's something that he's seeing in his mind. Uh, We might call it like a dream that we would have. And what he sees is a valley full of dead bodies. And uh, I would imagine he probably is visualizing the invasion that took place with Nebuchadnezzar and those bodies of those peoples who had died. And there's many bodies there. Just in your mind, imagine here's a valley and a bunch of dead people in it. But the bones are dry. That means all the flesh has rotted off of them. They're just simply what we would call skeletons today. Several times through some of our travels, when we've gone to Rome and other places, I've seen stacks and stacks and stacks of the bones of dead people. And I can tell you, it's pretty uh, unnerving to look and realize every one of those femurs, every one of those skulls that you look at, you realize that was a person. And they lived... And you think about what they were doing in their lives and you think about all the things that goes along with it. And here you see this valley full of skeletons, but the bones are all scattered and they're separated from one another. And so God asks the question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel responds, you know. God always knows. And so as you're identifying what's happening here, You've got to see the picture that's being painted for you. But then you begin the figure, the identification of it. What was all this to say and what was it to mean? Ezekiel was to prophesy to them. Who's them? The dry bones. They were to hear the word of the Lord. Look with me at verse 4. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones... And say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Now I can imagine here as a preacher standing in a cemetery preaching to dead people. Now you think about that for just a moment. Is there a lesson? Is there a message in that? Hollywood has been good at trying to take things and put them in a visual form so that we can see them. I tried to watch some of those this afternoon. But I want you to look with me at verse 6 at what he says here. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. Cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Just imagine here's a leg bone and here's a knee bone and You know, as they all come together and they start joining together and then you have the connective tissue and then you start having the muscles and then you're having the skin. And then all of a sudden, what was dry bones is now standing up and breathing. You have the bones coming back to life. It's not skeletons. It's the full body that is now being resurrected. And he says this great resurrected 
set of bones became an exceeding great army. Look with me at verse 10. And so I prophesied as he commanded to me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. So what you're visualizing in this uh, vision of Ezekiel is these bones coming back to life. Well, these symbols have an interpretation. You know, right now in our Monday morning Bible class, we're studying through the book of Revelation. And we're all the way through chapter 9. And as you begin to try to understand the book of Revelation, you realize each of those symbols have a meaning to them. One of the great things about the book of Revelation is many of them, like for instance, he talks about the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. And he says the seven stars are the angels to the seven churches. The seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. And so you see now how it's to be interpreted. What do we find in this passage? Well, the bones represent dead Israel. Here are the children of Israel by the river Kibar. And how are they viewed in their minds and in the minds of others? Verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's who they are. I don't have to guess what these bones mean. It means the people. And then it says the resurrection was to bring the people back to their land. Look with me at verse 12. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. I suggest to you there's the big understanding for them. Here they are, they're, they're depressed, they're discouraged, and God is saying, I know you're in a foreign land, you feel like everything is gone, but I'm going to bring you back into your land. And the people would then understand that this was not something of their own doing. It not, it's not as if we are somehow ourselves going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, not that we are so powerful and so capable. They'd understand this was God's work. In verse 13, then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. You're going to know this is something that I have done, not you. Now, here's where we start saying, okay, we've gone through the identification. We've gone through the interpretation. And you can see very plainly what it meant to the children of Israel. Is there anything that I as a Christian can draw from this passage? Is it just something that is a part of our studying through the Bible and say, yes, that was what it meant for them? Christians sometimes get depressed and discouraged over their situation. In fact, we get so depressed and so discouraged sometimes, we feel like there's no hope. We feel like we are dead, that there's nothing that we can do to ever make things right again. And we have to realize the Bible tells us not that's not the case. I want you to listen to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 3 through 6. And the Hebrew writer is trying to explain to us about how far we have gone in life and what there is in the future 
For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed and striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Now, I want you to imagine, here are the children of God in the New Testament time. And they're facing a real challenge for their faith. And he says, I don't want you to become weary and discouraged in your souls. You might say, well, I'm here, but do you realize how many people are really struggling with spiritual challenges in their lives? They have gotten to the point now where they're discouraged and they're ready to give up and give in. Just like the children of Israel who were there in that captivity a long way away from home, having no hope for going back again. But don't you to notice the second thing that's in this passage. You've forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor being discouraged when you're rebuked by him. You know, sometimes God lets us suffer the consequences of our sins so that we'll learn not to do that again. You know, occasionally when your children are growing up, you have to let them fail. You have to let them learn to not do certain things. I know that's hard. We want to protect them from all sorts of pain. But pain sometimes is good because pain teaches us not to do things over again. And so there's something in this for them facing that. And God disciplines us just right. God knows how much discipline we need He knows what will turn us around and God wants us to do the same thing as we discipline our own children. Colossians chapter 3 verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. God does not discourage us. He tries to persuade us not to do that which is wrong. And thus it is not hopeless. You see, if you go to the book of Jeremiah, you find this attitude in Jeremiah 2.25. Withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you have said, there's no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. They said, where we are now, we've just messed up so bad. It doesn't matter if we just go ahead and become idolaters after all. I've talked with people who have made serious mistakes in their lives. And sometimes they're saying, I've just messed up so bad, there's no way to fix it. There's no hope, so I guess I'm just going to stay in my sin. No, no, you don't do that. Jeremiah 18, 12. And they said, this is hopeless. So we will walk everyone according to our own plans and we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. Well, guess if there's no hope, we'll just quit. And I want you to see the children of Israel in Babylonian captivity 
and their discouragement and their depression because they got what they deserved. And God is saying there's hope. And sometimes we need a message of hope. And some look at their lives and realize some hard choices have to be made. Oh yeah, it's tough sometimes. Because you realize where you are, you realize where you need to be, and you can't see the the way back. Listen to Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 23. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. And here's where you look at this. We sometimes look at things and we don't see the way back because we're only looking in human terms. We're not looking at it as God would look at it. You know, I think about the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. He goes and he wastes his entire inheritance with a very loose lifestyle. Here he is, he is so hungry now, he wants to eat what the hogs are eating. In his mind, I can't see any way back. I, I, I'm in the depths of discouragement. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to apologize. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. I'm just going to go back and beg. Little did he realize that his father was looking for him when he came. And when he came, his father was willing to put a robe on him, a ring on his hand. He was willing to take him and kill the fatted calf. And he never anticipated that kind of reception from his father. Sometimes we don't realize how much God cares. He cared enough to correct and then he cares enough to caress, that is, to bring us back again. When man faces his darkest hour, what should he do? He should look up to God in prayer and do as the prodigal son did. Pray a prayer of penitence. Pray a prayer that says, God, will you please just take me back? And he will find a God like Isaiah 55 says, let the wicked forsake his way. The unrighteous man is thought, for the Lord will abundantly pardon. It's, it's amazing the forgiveness that God provides for his people. And so I think about the message that is here. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 5. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
What a powerful message that is. But that's not the only lesson I think that can be derived from this. Though the symbolic, this has a hint in it of the final resurrection. You know the idea of here God calling people out of their graves. The bones being reanimated together. Listen to John 5 verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Here's a reality for us. Will we die? Yes, we will die. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Hebrews 9 verse 27. But Job asked the question, if a man dies, will he live again? And the answer is yes, he'll live again. In Acts 24, verse 15, Paul said, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Here's what I expect to happen. I expect exactly what the Bible says will take place. Philippians 3, 9 and 10 Paul said to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul said that's what I'm looking forward and anticipating. If there were one passage that I would use to try to emphasize this, it would be 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18 where Paul would say to the Thessalonians, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who've fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we will always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. You see, here's the parallel I see. Israel was depressed. Israel was discouraged. Israel saw life and didn't see the the hope for a resurrection. And God says, I'm holding out hope for you. Here we are, we're struggling through a world of sin. We're struggling in our own lives to do what is right. And God says, I hold out a hope for you. A hope for returning to where I am in the promised land. That which brings the life to these dead bodies is the word of God. Now, when you go to the idea here, he talks about the breath. Speak to the breath. Prophesy to the breath. You know, have the bodies there. You have the bones. You have the flesh. But they're not alive until the breath comes in them. And the message here is the breath that goes into them. And you go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by 
inspiration of God. That literally means breathed out by God. What animates us, what makes us alive is God's Word. Listen to John 6 and verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Or Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing either the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The power of the Word. It was that Word that was going to reanimate those dead bones, dry bones. And you know what? It will reanimate us, make us go from being a discouraged, depressed people to one who see hope. It's the very Word of God and what it can do in our own lives. Can these bones live? What's the answer? Yes, they can live. Can you make a choice to live for the Lord? And the same answer is yes. I think about that great message that's found there in Ezekiel 37 and the encouragement that it provides each of us. You may be here tonight and you may look at your life and say, I have made a lot of mistakes. I don't know if the Lord would have me. I, I, I don't know if I am worthy to be a child of God. Let me tell you, God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins. God cares enough for you that He instructed to carry the gospel into all the world so that every creature could hear that wonderful message. Yes, you can live. It's a choice that you make, that you accept that which He offers. You do that by believing Him, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. If tonight you want to do that, you come to the front, we'll assist you in being baptized, and then you can know that you have life. And if you're a Christian and you're looking and you're saying, Boy, I've really, really messed up. And that's a reality for many of us. We sometimes have done things that are so wrong and yet God still wants to save us. Would you come as well? We're going to sing 739. Would you come as we stand and sing?